Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Good morning. Awesome. So glad that you are here today. After months of preparation and study and planning and prayer, I just sense that some of you are ready today to take that leap of faith. Like against all odds, maybe you face strong words of opposition, possibly even persecution. Today you're ready to step out and believe that things are going to happen. Today you're ready to receive your miracle. You're believing for victory. That's right, college football started yesterday. (laughs) And for some of you, it's the best four and a half months of your year. And uh, you have been waiting for it. Others of you, you're like, what, huh, who cares, right? But some of you are diehards. Like your Saturdays are booked up now through January because you've got a plan. But it's not without opposition. Look, whether you wear the colors scarlet and gray or maize and blue or some other combo that makes your heart beat a little faster, there will be those of you who will encounter opposition, people who see things differently than you see them. And what sometimes is just fun can get uncomfortable or maybe even ugly at times. There was a story almost a year ago, last September, on the Jet Express. Do you know what the Jet Express is? the boat that goes back and forth on Lake Erie between the islands. And there was an a incident late one night on the Jet Express. Let me read it to you. Here's what happened. Some individuals started arguing and cursing at each other. As the argument went on, the Michigan fan's girlfriend stood up and pulled the hair of the Ohio State fan's wife. The Ohio State fan tried to defend his wife by shoving the Michigan fan's girlfriend which is always a good idea. And uh, the Michigan fan stood up, tried to defend his girlfriend, and after that, quote, they mutually started to fist fight and swing on each other. It was crazy, end quote. So they asked the owner of the Jet Express what he thought about it, and he said, it happens. They get very passionate about their teams. It's reality, isn't it? Those kind of things happen from time to time. Let's just, let's just talk about something real quick here. In the end, it's just a game, right? <laughs> Except that, you don't have to clap for that, but thanks. I'm going to say better things, so save it. It, it, um, Here's the thing. (laughs) There are other places in your life where you're going to confront people who think differently than you. There are more important places where you're going to interact with folks whose words will bring opposition. So what do you do in times when the issues that you have a difference with somebody else aren't issues of who scores the touchdown, but they're issues of life and death. Like last week, we, we talked about what it means to have a biblical worldview. Let me give you a definition again real quick. A biblical worldview means looking at life and the world around us from the perspective of Scripture. It means looking at life and the world around us, not just from our own thinking, not just from what other people tell us, but we look at life through the lens, through the, from the vantage point, through the perspective of scripture. So that's what this series has been about. We've been talking about issues, topics, ideas that are sometimes kind of awkward or uncomfortable or things that maybe we we leave unsaid. And so we started out by talking about the fact that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are salt and light. We've been called to bring light and life to the world. We are different from the world around us and we're different in order to make a difference. Then we talked about the foundation that we have on God's word. That's that's our perspective. That's, That's where we find truth. 
We talked about the fact that Jesus is coming again and that someday we'll all face eternity and have to answer for what we've done. We talked about doubt. We talked last week about the sanctity of life. Today, though, this series, I'd love to talk about your life. Today, let's talk about your life. When you face opposition, when you face challenges, when you have to have an awkward conversation, in those moments, what do you do? Because the reality is at some point, somebody or something is going to challenge your biblical worldview. It's going to push back on the things that you believe. And when that happens, what do you do? Maybe it's the family gathering. We're a relative, that that particular cousin or whoever knows just how to push your buttons. Like they just know how to poke at the things that are important to you to try to get you riled up and respond in some way. Politics, abortion, religion, whatever it might be. They know just how to say the right thing because she or he likes to get you going so they bring it up. Or maybe it's at work. Maybe they're at work, you're, you're faced with a dilemma of integrity. Some of your coworkers want you to join with them in some activity that for you, it either makes you uncomfortable or it feel, you feel like it's unfair to your employer or it's against your convictions, but you know that if you push back, there's gonna be at least a little drama, if not a lot of conflict. Or maybe if it's at school and you've been, you've been assigned a team project and the teacher or the professor has, have assigned you to work with someone whose views on life, whose vantage point, whose worldview is very different from yours. Much of what they believe actually flies in the face of what you think is truth. And when that happens, how are you going to respond with your convictions? Or maybe it's your friends. Maybe you're in a dating relationship and your friends don't understand why you aren't living together, why the two of you aren't sexually active. And you say, I've been dating for a long time, but I believe God's word says that that sex is to be saved for marriage, for that marital relationship. So we've chosen to abstain from sexual activity. And they say to you, well, you're old fashioned and you're missing out. Like in those times, what do you do when someone else's views or vantage point are different than yours? Because our culture seems to embrace a lot of values that fly in the face of biblical truths, true? I mean, we see it in issues of life and the sanctity of life. We see it in gender and sexuality. We see it in politics. We see it in areas of of biblical holiness. So what do you do when you come face to face with those that you do not agree with? Look, we live in interesting times from, from politics to parades. There are all these places where there's consistent conflict over ideology and choices. And here's the, the line that seems to have been drawn. Either you agree with me and what I say, or you are intolerant and you're my enemy. We've lost a lot of civility in our culture. It's not possible for me to say, hey, look, I respect you, but I kindly disagree, and I think you may be wrong on this issue, but as soon as I say I disagree, what I'm actually saying is you're wrong and you're my enemy. And there's this tension that we feel in our culture. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter four today. Colossians chapter four, Paul is writing to a Christian church in a city called Colossae in the first century. Now, if you think our situation is unique, think about the situation that they were in. We at least live in a culture and a society that on our money, it says in God, we trust. We were founded in many ways on Christian principles, but the culture that the people that Paul's writing to lived in had no Christian foundation. They had no biblical framework. And he's writing to them and saying to them, 
when you interact with those in your culture, here's how I want you to live. He was saying to them, you have a faith that you have experienced inside the church. Now, how do you live out the truths of your faith outside the church? And he writes to them about this. It's interesting to see what he says here. Colossians chapter four, verse five. He says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Remember that word, outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. He says, make sure you live in a way that's wise toward outsiders. When he talks about outsiders, and it's a word you see multiple times, especially in Paul's writings in the New Testament, he's talking about those who do not share a biblical faith in Jesus Christ with those who do. He's saying there are some who are inside the faith and some who are outside the faith. What's interesting here is he doesn't use that term in a way of exclusivity. He's not saying those that are superior and those who are not. He's just making a distinction here. The other thing he does not say, the Bible never says that it's the job of the Christian to judge the outsider. Let me say that again because I think that's really important. The Bible never says that it's the job of the Christian to judge the outsider. We're good at judging the outsider, but it's not our job. Whose job is it to judge those outside the church? It is. It's God's job. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You know whose job it is for us to judge? We are to judge those inside the church, and it starts with us, with ourselves. That, that's where we we get a value of how am I living and how am I not? We're not to judge others. In fact, instead, we're supposed to show God's love and his grace towards those who are outside. But what happens is oftentimes we set up these lines, battle lines at times. And what Paul is showing to us here is he's saying, look, I want you living your life in a certain way in front of those outside the church so that you can show them who Jesus is. The whole context here, if you read this chapter, is he's saying, if we're going to show people who Jesus is and how he can change their lives and why they need a relationship with him, here's what it's going to look at. So I want to show you this today, four ways to live from your inside out. What Jesus has done on the inside, this is how you live it out, especially in front of a world who may not understand what you believe, who may not believe what you believe, even in times where there may be conflict about what you believe, four ways for you to live from your inside out. Let's look at these four things. Here's the first one. Number one, be a wise guy. Number one, be a wise guy. Now that may not mean what you think it means. Like when I say be a wise guy, you're immediately thinking of sarcasm, snide remarks, kind of that smart aleck that was in your school classroom. Let me show you an example of what that kind of wise guy looks like. Here's some, here's some answers that were on actual tests that were taken in, in classrooms around our country. Here, let's, let's look at a couple of these. These are some wise guys, smart aleck answers. Here's the first one. You got the math problem at the top and then explain how you found your answer in problem four, <laughs> math. All right, wise guy. Here's the next one. Name six animals which live specifically in the Arctic. Two polar bears, four seals. <laughs> Get it? Parent signature, mom. Next one, what is your favorite hue? <laughs> Do you get that one? They mean color. That's funny. Where was the Declaration of Independence signed? At the bottom. 
Here's the next one. This is my favorite. What ended in 1896? Are they wrong? No, they're not wrong. They're not wrong. And then this one, draw a picture of what you'll look like in 100 years. He drew a little. That's what it means to be a wise guy. Smart Alec. It's not what I mean here. What I mean is that you're a person of wisdom. Here's what Paul writes, Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Be wise in the way you act. The, the literal translation of the Greek words that are there. You know that the New Testament that we have in English is translated from original Greek that it was written in, from Greek sources. And the original Greek there says, walk in wisdom. So when it says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, the actual phrase there is, we are to walk in wisdom. It is to be the way that we live, that even the very way that we walk, that we carry on our lives, is to be done in a way of wisdom. We are to walk in wisdom. The opposite of wisdom is foolishness. We live in a way that is wise towards those, and this is really key to what Paul's saying here. You've gotta be wise towards those who do not share your beliefs, those who think differently. Because it can be very easy for you and I to live in kind of a bubble in our lives and forget that our words and our actions and our attitudes have consequences and ramifications. The way that I live my life affects those who are around me. We need to live a life that's full of wisdom and be wise that you will be under scrutiny. There will be times when people will watch your life. They will say, is that what a Christian looks like? Is that what a Christian lives like? Is that what a Christian talks like? And those who do not share your faith will at times look at you and you will be under scrutiny, so you have to be wise in the way that you live. Here's why. Because we are Christ's ambassadors. You and I are called to be Christ's ambassadors, not because some embassy said you were, not because of some act of Congress. <laughs> Let me tell you why you're an ambassador for Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. God is working through you, and to some people, you are an ambassador of Jesus. The representation that they have, the reputation that they give to God will be coming to them through you. Probably about two or three years ago, I walked into one of the big um, kind of national hardware chains. You know, we have those different hardware stores all around town. There's different chains that you can pick from, and I walked into one of them, and I interacted with, I don't know, two or three staff members and the whole time I couldn't get over how poorly I was treated. Like, I'm a pastor, and I love the Lord, and I love people, but I just like good customer service. Anybody else? I don't know. And it was bad. It was just really bad. And I walked out of there with very real bitterness in my heart, and I said, that'll be the last place I go when I need something. There's, other, there's a couple other places I can go before I go to that place. And so I decided, there was a little joke about the bitterness though, right? You know, I'd like, I was just kind of kidding. But I did say to myself, that'll be the last place I go. Like I will choose other places before I go to that place. You ever had that thought? You know what I'm talking about? We're all human here, right? Fair? So guess where I had to go the other day? <laughs> the last place. I had the absolute best customer service I've had in a long time. 
Not because they were making money off of me, but because they were helping me. Like, I mean, they were thinking of things before I thought of them. I had such a good shopping and buying experience in that store that I told the, 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 the lady that was helping me, I said, you have saved the reputation of this store in my mind. Because this used to be the last place I'm gonna go. It has become the first place I'm gonna go because you have been such a great ambassador of your brand. There are a lot of people who think poorly about Jesus because they've interacted with some really bad Christians. Anybody? Like, do you know what I'm talking about? I'm not judging people. I'm just saying there are times when people think poorly about God because Christians have treated other people poorly. You are Christ's ambassador. And people will watch how you live and God's reputation in their mind will be affected by who you are. When I was a kid, I used to hear this statement and it's kind of a bit of a cliche now to say that for some people, you are the only Jesus that they will ever see. Do you know why that's a cliche? Because it's true that for many people, the only representation they may ever really see of who Jesus is is when they see Jesus in your life. The reality is we need to live lives that point people to him. Paul was writing to a group of people in a city called Thessalonica, and when he wrote to them, he said this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. He says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business, work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Did you see what he said there? He said, your daily life, you should live in such a way that your daily life wins the respect of those outside the faith. He does not say, be really kind when you invite people to services at Easter. He doesn't say, in the Christmas season, you should probably smile a lot. He says, your daily life, the way you live 24-7, should win the respect of outsiders. What usually throws off our testimony is when our walk does not match up with our talk. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like when I say one thing, but I live another way. And people say that. We call that hypocrisy, don't we? When somebody says they live one way, but then they actually live another. And part of what Paul is saying here is we must be careful of hypocrisy. Now look, all of us are hypocrites at times. Like I would ask you to raise your hand if you've never been a hypocrite, but then that would make you a liar. So I'm not gonna do that. Right? We've all been a hypocrite at some point. We all need God's forgiveness. The reality is, though, that when I live a life that is consistently hypocritical, and then I just blame it on the fact that I'm not perfect, that's a sorry excuse. Look, we have been called to represent Jesus Christ to the world that is around us, and hypocrisy hurts in so many ways. If you want your life to influence other people, remember this, that a righteous life lays the foundation for an effective witness. Paul says, first and foremost, when you're interacting with those who are outside the faith, be a wise guy. Second thing he says, number two is this, that you need to seize the moment. Number two, seize the moment. Go back to the text Colossians chapter four, verse five. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. I like that phrase. Make the most of every opportunity. 
in the Greek, that, that phrase there, make the most, would have come from the language that they would have used in the marketplace. Like if you went somewhere and you saw someone selling something that you wanted and you realized you didn't want to buy just one of them, but that you were going to buy all of them, that you were going to buy out their stock in that thing, that would be called making the most. You would buy it all. You would seize what was available. You would make the most of that opportunity. You've done that at some point, haven't you? Like where you've been in a store and something's on sale and you need one, but you buy four because it's on sale right now. So you're going to get them all right now. I've done that when I've seen Oreos on sale. I'm going to buy a pallet. Why not? I'm going to need them later. They'll stay fresh, pack a day. I'll be good, right? You think that way because I'm going to make the most of this opportunity. Some of you are judging me about Oreos, but do you remember the whole Twinkie scandal a couple of years ago? Some of you still have Twinkies in your basement because you thought they weren't going to be made anymore. Why? I'm going to get them now. I'm going to make the most of that opportunity because that opportunity might not be here later. I'm going to make the most of every opportunity. Paul says it this way, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Paul says, look, time is gonna pass you by and we live in difficult days and Jesus is coming again. So you make the most of every opportunity. Here's why. Because time is precious. I know we, we say this often, but the reality is time is precious and it is flying by. Is anybody else slightly stunned that today is September 1st? Like anybody? Like, I mean, I've been watching the calendar. I knew it was coming. But you gotta just wake up one day. What happened to the summer? Like, like how is it September already? We, we say that every year, don't we? How is it September already? Well, because we went through June, July, and August, right? But it seems like it flies by because time is precious. We need to realize that if we're not careful, life will pass us by. So let me encourage you. Today is the day. Like if time's precious, today's the day for you to invest in the life of your child or your grandchild. Today's the day for you to pray for that opportunity to share your faith with a coworker or a friend. Today's the day for you to follow God's best for your life and not just do what the culture says is right. Many times we go, well, I'm gonna have a little fun now and I'll fix it later. Or I'll choose to live my life differently maybe further down the road when I get a little older, when I have more responsibility or when it matters. Today's the day because time is precious. You do not want to let it pass you by. Psalm 90 verse 12, the psalmist says this, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. Why does it say that? Because opportunities have an expiration date. Opportunities come our way. And when they pass us, they're gone. The opportunity of a lifetime is only good for the lifetime of the opportunity. Now, look, I'm not trying to make that a, a heavy in any way. I, I, I believe this. I believe that God's grace is always available. It can be easy for some of us to go, it's too late for me, 
or God can't use me anymore, or I've missed too many opportunities, and there's no hope for me. Look, I honestly believe that if you come to God with a genuine heart and with faithfulness, he will open up doors of opportunity. He will extend his grace to you. He will show you his faithfulness. The Bible says this, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Do you know when they wrote that? When they were in a place of great despair and they thought they lost it all. And they still said, God, your mercies are new every morning. So he brings new mercies your way. It is never too late. I believe that God will bring his chance and his grace to you. But let's be realistic. It's always true, though, that there are some things you can do today that you won't be able to do tomorrow. True? You cannot grab today's opportunity tomorrow. You have to make the most of the opportunity. You have to make the most of the season. You have to understand the time that you're in and then not waste it. Let me read you a little bit of an extended passage from Romans chapter 13. because Paul's gonna highlight some things here. He's gonna say, grab hold of the opportunity and don't let these things distract you. Look at, look at what he says, verse, verse 11 of Romans 13. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day's almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us also behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. See what he said here? He says, look, he says, the, the, the day is almost over, the night is coming. He says, you only have a certain amount of time, so seize that time. And then he mentions some things that will rob your time. He mentions drunkenness. He mentions sexual immorality. And on both of those things, we're like, yeah, those are bad, right? We say that. And then he says, and dissension and jealousy. And we go, ooh, those, those things look a little like me sometimes. Right? He's saying, look, there's all kinds of things that if we're not careful, they will steal opportunity from us. My hope is that whether it be in the way that you live your life in front of others or how you share your faith or how you pursue your goals or how you raise your family, that you will not let life pass you by. If, if you were with us for our first Wednesday service back in June, we talked about the fact that there are, in the scriptures, two words, Greek words, that are used to describe time. One is the word chronos, and that word has to do with like cycles of time, seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years, those repetitive cycles that we see, that's, that's chronos time that kind of just kind of ticks away on us, and, and you get the same amount of time every day. That's why we call a watch a chronometer, Right? It's a time meter. It, it measures our time. The other word, though, is not so much quantity of time, which is what chronos is. The other word is a word that's kairos. And kairos has to do with the quality of time. It's not so much the cycles that show up every day, week, month. It's the, the seasons that come our way. It would be the opportunities that we get. So in Romans 13 and in Ephesians 5 and in our text in Colossians 4, when Paul says, make the most of the time, make the most of the opportunity, he's talking about this kairos. He's talking about these seasons, these moments. 
Because once one comes, when it's gone, it's never quite the same again. You need to seize it now. Do you, do you remember when you were in school learning Aesop's fables? Does anybody remember those stories? They're not in the Bible. It's like from Greek mythology and Greek stories, a guy named Aesop. He had one about some of the Greek gods. Zeus was like kind of the, the main god, and he had a son. Zeus had a son whose name was Kairos, this, this word we're talking about. He was considered basically the god of, of opportunity, the spirit of opportunity. Kairos was described as being able to run very swiftly, and his physical distinction is that Kairos was not only very fast, but he was bald, to which some of you say, amen, amen. yes. He was bald, except right here, like on the front of his forehead, he had this little patch of hair that was right here. It would kind of you know, fly as he was running. He had this hair that was right here. And um, it was described that if Kairos was running and you wanted to catch him, the only way you could catch him was you'd have to grab that, that little tuft of hair that was right here on his forehead. Like you had to catch him. With meant you had to catch him when he was coming towards you because once he was gone, you would have no way to catch him. It was said that if Kairos passed you by, not even Zeus could bring him back. So you had to capture Kairos as he was running towards you. You had to seize that opportunity because once it was gone, it was past. That image really helps me to understand Kairos because you have to grab it when it's coming at you. When it's gone, it's gone. Does that make sense? Look, I stress this because I believe this. You have to make the most of today's opportunities. And some of you have some opportunity knocking on your door. Like opportunities that you know that God has brought your way to do something bold for him. Opportunities to make a difference for eternity. Opportunities to take a step of faith. In fact, I honestly believe that for some of you, that opportunity hasn't knocked yet. It's walking its way up the path to your door. And it's making its way, and I want you to hear this today so that when you hear that knock, the Spirit of God can say to you, don't let this opportunity pass you by because I brought it to your door. You make the most of that opportunity because when it comes, God says, you buy them all out. You get a hold of all that come your way. You make the most of this time with your child. You make the most of this opportunity to share your faith. You make the most of taking that bold move and seeing what God can do because you make the most of today's opportunities. Paul says, if you're going to share your faith to those who do not share your faith, then be the wise guy. Number two, you seize the moment. Here's the third one. Number three, say grace. Number three, say grace. Oftentimes when we, we use that phrase, we might be sitting at a meal. We might look at a friend and go, hey, would you like to say grace? Which means, would you pray over the meal? But I mean saying grace in a, in a much larger way than just that. Go back to the text, Colossians chapter four, verse six. Paul says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. He's encouraging us here not to waste our words, but to make sure our words are filled with grace. Back in July, Pastor Keith had a message for us on the power of words and really mapped out for us how important our words are and how critical it is that we watch the words that we use. And this is really important too, that you make sure that your words, especially in times of conflict, especially in times when there's a difference of opinion, 
that you make sure that your words are filled with grace. And sometimes the reason we get into a difficult situation with other people is because of the words that come out of our mouths. True? There's a, there's a prayer that's good to pray. This is from the psalmist, Psalm 141, verse 3. He writes, set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Would that be a good prayer for some of you to put somewhere? <laughs> like on your computer screen or on your dashboard? Maybe some of you need to pray that for someone you know. Dear Lord, set a guard over my mouth. Keep duct tape over the door of their lips, right? That's the, that's the thought process. Here's what he says here. Let your words be full of grace. Like the words that you speak. Let your words be full of grace. Grace has two meanings here. Grace has the meaning of God's grace that we extend, but also the, the meaning of being gracious, that we treat other people with a sense of grace. And many of us could go, yeah, that's how I want to be treated. And yeah, that's how I want to speak to others. I want to extend God's grace. I want to be gracious. I want to be graceful. I want to give grace in the words that I speak. The problem here is that oftentimes the words that come out of our mouth betray the state of our hearts. True? So maybe where I need to start is not so much with my tongue, but with the attitude of my heart. Jesus says, Luke chapter 6, verse 45, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Sometimes you need an x-ray to see the state of your heart. Other times you just need to open your mouth. You ever had something come out of your mouth? And you just go, I can't believe I said that. And it kind of just shows the state of your heart. Yellowstone National Park has, has several geysers that are there. You've probably heard of Old Faithful. It goes off like clockwork. There's one there called Ear Springs that actually in the last 60 years has only gone off about four times. It's real irregular, and they don't know like when it's going to go off or why it's going to go off. The last time it went off, the employees said that it just blew up out of nowhere and then left all this strange stuff laying around the base of the geyser. They took an inventory of some of the things that were there. These included a pacifier, potentially from the 1930s, a bunch of old coins with wishes now that will never come true, a rubber heel insert, a collection of metal warning signs, plastic cups, aluminum cans, cigarette butts, and an eight-inch drinking straw, which it seems like some tourist went over to try to see what it would taste like inside of there. Wouldn't have been funny if it had gone off when he was like leaning over the thing? <laughs> That'd be funny. <laughs> Here's what they figure. They figure that over time, people are just there, and they just kind of throw stuff into this hole in the ground. Like whether it's intentionally on accident, we don't, we don't know. But somehow it became kind of a natural garbage can and the stuff just sat down in there until enough pressure built up that when it shot out of there, that stuff went flying everywhere. You wouldn't have known that all that nasty stuff was in there until that moment of pressure. Same thing happens with our words sometimes, right? The stuff that gets built up in our hearts. And if we're not careful, if we don't deal with our hearts, if we don't pay attention to what's in there, then when that moment of pressure comes, things come out that maybe even we forgot were in there. Some of you, the reason that you struggle with the words that come out of your mouth is because there's not much grace in your hearts. The Bible says we should be full of God's grace, 
that we should be full of graciousness, that no matter who we're speaking with, that grace comes out. The Bible also says that of all the things that we try to tame, the tongue is the toughest. James chapter 3, verse 9 says this, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. You know, I've encouraged you before that in your own life, it's good for you to take time, hopefully on a daily basis, to read God's word. And that one of the easiest things to do is find some kind of plan, whether you use the Bible app or a devotional book or whatever, use some kind of plan that gets you on a regular basis kind of working your way through God's word. The plan I'm using right now, a part of it is that you read a, a psalm or two every day. So I don't know, a week or two ago, I was doing my Bible reading and I got to Psalm 28. So I'm sitting there, I'm reading Psalm 28. I get to the third verse and it says this, do not drag me away with the wicked. I was like, yeah, I don't like the wicked. Drag me away from the wicked God. Yeah, 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 yeah. With those who do evil. Yeah, I don't like the evil. God, keep me from evil. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who speak cordially with their neighbors, but harbor malice in their hearts. And I went, oh, because I've done that. Like, and I went right back to a situation within the, within the month before where I had a conversation with a guy, real gracious, real kind, like real, real friendly, telling him, you know, hey, man, you're doing a good job, this kind of stuff. And then when we walked away, I went, man, I don't like that guy. Anybody ever done that? Liars. Anybody ever done that? <laughs> yes, you know that moment. What's funny is I've had multiple people come up to me since the first service. Was it me, Pastor? <laughs> no. <laughs> they don't go to church here. They live in another city. You know who you are. Right? So there's that. No, they don't. They don't have a clue. Right? Because I spoke cordially with my mouth, but I harbored this, this malice in my heart. We've all been there, right? Because there's just sometimes there's people we don't have chemistry with. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, honest, you're, like some of you are like, I've got to find another church. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> right? You have those moments, right? But God kind of put a spotlight on my heart and said, Chad, did you realize that those moments when your words interact, that's going on in your heart? I just line that up with the wicked and the evil, is that what you want going on in your heart, Chad? Because I had to take a look inside and see why do I harbor those feelings towards that person? And do I need to change something here? And God, what's wrong with my life? See, so many times we let little annoying things come into our heart and they affect the way that we deal with people, especially those outside of us. Because we've heard so many things or we've watched so much cable news or we've interacted with so many different people that the last response we have is grace. We start by our differences, or we start by being annoyed when God wants us to start with grace in our hearts. Seth Godin tells the story of a lady who was sitting in a meeting. It was an all-day meeting. She's sitting there, and for the first session, it was about 90 minutes, I think, or so. She's sitting there, and the guy sitting next to her, it was like the wall, then him, then her, sitting there, and he keeps making this clicking noise with his tongue. Like every so often, he just makes this annoying noise, this like clicking noise. I won't make it because it'll annoy you, but you know what I'm talking about, right? She's making this, he's making this noise. And at first she's like, he'll stop. 
And then he doesn't. And he keeps doing it. He keeps doing it. She doesn't know the guy. She's like, this is driving me crazy. So they get to a point where there's a break in the meeting. And during the break, she tells herself, I'm just going to get the courage and tell this guy, hey, man, I just want you to know, like, this is annoying to me. It's probably annoying to other people. I really need you to stop it. Like, she's having these feelings and these thoughts towards this guy. So they have the break. And she takes a deep breath. And when she's just about to say to him, I need you to knock this off, all of a sudden, she realizes He's not the one making the noise. It's her, it's him, it's the wall, it's an older room. Along the wall is a radiator system. And the radiator keeps making a clicking noise. She's ticked by the click. She thinks it's Captain Clicker. It's actually the wall. And all of a sudden, that feeling of being annoyed at him is forgiven because she realized what the real cause was. We get annoyed with people real fast, don't we? And sometimes we need to recognize that what annoys them about us goes a whole lot deeper than them just trying to annoy us. Have you ever ever walked a mile in their shoes? Have you ever put yourself in their place? Have you ever thought about what life might be like for them or what their experiences have been? Have you ever thought it was like for you before you knew the grace of Jesus Christ? And what if you were to say, God, before I start with annoyed, what if I started with grace? And I brought grace into this situation and ask you to help me with this. Look, in those moments, and especially when you're interacting with people whose vantage point is different than yours, say grace. Start with words of grace. Be a wise guy. Seize the moment. Say grace. Here's the fourth one, last one. You share your answer. Share your answer. Let's go back to it. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. Paul says, let your conversation be always full of grace Season with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. See this? He says God wants to use you to share the answer with everyone. Christians are not called to isolation, but to influence. For many of us, I think it's easier for us to pull back. It's easier for us to step back and say, well, I don't want to be involved in this or I don't want to do that. For some of you, God's calling you to a place of influence, not of isolation, but to get out of your church, to get out of your home and say, God, in my workplace, in my school, on my job, maybe even in a place of the public arena somewhere of service or maybe even in a political office that God is calling you to step up and say, he hasn't called me to isolation. He's called me to influence. Let me read that passage again, our text, Colossians 4, verses five and six, this time from the New Living Translation. He says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity Let your conversation be gracious and attractive. Watch this. So that you will have the right response for everyone. Some of you go, well, that's that's good, Chad. (laughs) But I don't want to have the right response. I don't don't want the pressure of that. Can't my life just kind of just sit back a little bit? Can I just kind of be a Christian in a corner? I mean, I'll I'll live a righteous life, and I'll I'll go to church, and and I'll serve. I'll do all those kind of things. But I really don't want to be in the position where I have to answer anybody. I'd rather just sit back a little bit. I don't really see myself as a person of influence. And and not to make an enemy out of you, but I think that's where you're wrong. Because we're all people of influence. If you say, well, my influence is really only in my home, I can't think of a more important place to have influence. In your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood, with that friend, with that person that you only connect with from time to time on social media, look in every one of those places from the posts you make to the conversation you have in the grocery store. You are a person of influence. 
And God has called you not to isolation, but to step it up. Here's what scripture says, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of the slander. Did you see what he said here? He's like, look, you live your life in such a way that when people ask, your life is the answer. And you do it with gentleness and with respect. Look, there are times, and especially when we debate on, on, on the hot button issues in our culture, where we wanna kind of get fired up sometimes. Some of us are, are kind of in this place where we're gonna win that argument. I, I'm not gonna lie. Aren't there moments when you like to be right so someone else is wrong? Anybody? Come on, anybody? <laughs> Please know this, you can win the argument and lose the relationship, and it's not worth it. Because in the end, what you need is that relationship that opportunity to continue to speak into somebody's life. So be careful that you don't win the argument at the expense of the relationship. And know this too, like when you're sharing an answer, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 27. Proverbs 17, 27. A truly wise person uses few words. Isn't that interesting? Yes, Chad, it is. A truly wise person <laughs> uses few words. A person with understanding is even-tempered. When you're pressed for an answer, sometimes the best answer is no answer. Sometimes the best answer is not to prove yourself, but to show grace and love. I had a wise pastor say to me one time, he said, look, just because they hand you a microphone, it doesn't mean you have to talk in it. Just because somebody sets you up doesn't mean you have to fall for it. Sometimes the best answer is no answer. And some of you go, look, I, I want to live my life in a way that's, that's meaningful, that impacts other people, but I don't know how. What, what if I find myself in a place where I, I can't give a good answer? What if I find myself in a place where I don't know what to do? I got good news for you. That's a great place to be. John 14, 26. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. You see what he said here? The Holy Spirit will help you. When you find yourself in a place where you don't know what to do, when you don't have the words to say, God says his Holy Spirit will come and the Holy Spirit will help you. Luke chapter 12, verse 11. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Look, at the first Wednesday of every month, we have what we call our first Wednesday service. We, we take some time to worship and to pray. We usually have a little bit of extra time to be able to spend in prayer together with and for one another. And it's just a powerful service together. This week, we're gonna talk about this. On Wednesday night, seven o'clock in this room, we're gonna talk about how do I find myself being led by the Holy Spirit? How does the Holy Spirit teach me? How does the Holy Spirit give me the right words to say? What does it mean to follow his leading? And we're gonna look at that on Wednesday night. I hope you'll make it a priority to join us, which brings us full circle here. How do we live our life, especially when we're in conflict with other people? Be a wise guy, seize the moment, say grace, and share your answer. And you say, Chad, what if I don't know the answer? Good news. Your life is the answer. 
And as you live out the truth of Jesus Christ, your testimony, a lifestyle that's filled with grace and honors him, people will see him. Here's why that's so important. Because even those who are in opposition to you are looking for hope. They're looking for truth, whether they even realize it or not. Let's go back to football for a moment. There are some teams that I just don't like. I don't like to hear about them. I don't like to look at them. I don't want to watch them unless I'm beating them. Do you know what I'm talking about? I just don't like them. And then sometimes you, you see a highlight or you watch a game and it hurts deep down inside and it takes everything inside of you, but you have to go, they're, they're pretty good. Like that quarterback, that quarterback's really good. Man, they got a good defense. Like, like you have to recognize that in spite of how much you disagree with who they are, that you won't even like say their name or wear the color of their uniform. You know who you are, right? You, you know what I'm talking about. Even if you're that person, there's times when you gotta go, they're really good. That player's really good. There will be people who will disagree with you, but when they see your life, Peter says they'll look at your life, and even though they wanna slander you, they won't but be able to say, you know, there's something different about them. And when they see it, that's the Holy Spirit being able to draw them to what is really true. Some of, some of you, and I feel like we gotta clear the air on this before we get too much further into the rest of this year. Some of you have a real issue that you need to repent of in your life because you don't like me because I'm a Steelers fan. <laughs> right, and so I just, I, like right now, I think we need to sort this out, right? Let me, let me tell you why I'm a, don't give me your cowboy business down there, sister. We're gonna have a prayer time for you in just a minute. So um, let me tell you why I'm a Steelers fan. All right, just sort this out. I grew up in Warren, Ohio, okay? So halfway kind of between Cleveland and Pittsburgh. So my dad could care less about sports. He didn't care. He didn't have a team. He didn't, he didn't I don't have time to watch that. So, like that would be kind of his world. So it was left to me to defend the family name, right? That was up to me to kind of like pick a team. So when I'm a kid, I'm like, I don't, I don't have a team, but all my friends are they're rooting for a football team. I probably should have a football team. So I've got friends halfway between Cleveland and Pittsburgh. I got friends who are Browns fans. I got friends who are Steelers fans. One of my very best friends was a kid named Eric, and Eric's family all grew up in Pennsylvania. He was a diehard Steelers fan. He had a Steeler bike. He had a Steeler hat. He had a Steeler shirt, all this kind of stuff. I'm trying to decide, am I a Browns fan? Am I a Steelers fan? And then Eric started telling me about the Steelers. This is in the 70s, right? He starts telling me about the Steelers. He doesn't tell me what defense they're running. He doesn't tell me the strengths of their offense. You know what he starts telling me? Steelers are winning Super Bowls. They got rings. He starts naming star players. And I don't care about all the details. I just wanna know, can I be on the team where I'll find victory? Right, I'm watching this whole time. I'm seeing the way he lives. Do you know why I'm a Steelers fan? Because they were winning Super Bowls in the 70s. Somebody says, you're a bandwagon fan. Been a fan since then. Say it to my face, will you? Right? I mean, it's that kind of, it's that kind of thing, right? But do you know why I made that choice? Because somebody showed me, even though you don't understand, even though you don't get it, even though you might not like it, that's where you'll find victory. And there are people who are looking at your life, and you want to share your faith with them when they don't share your faith. And they don't understand what you believe but they won't understand it until they see that you actually really believe it. And when you live it out, it'll make a difference in their lives. So I'm gonna ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. 
And, and, and in spite of the, the time or in spite of what's next in your life, would you take just a moment for reflection? And when I encourage you to be a wise guy and to live in a way, not of hypocrisy, but of wisdom, living out your faith in front of others. For some of you, God gave you a little nudge in that moment and said, hey, I need you to step it up here. For some of you, when we talked about seizing the moment, you realize that in some, in some place in your life, life's gonna pass you by unless you reach out and grab this kairos, unless you grab this moment, unless you grab this season. And you're saying, today's the day, I'm not gonna let it go. I gotta make the most of this opportunity. For some of you, there's, there's been a moment where your words have kind of come into question. And you're saying, Lord, I need you to help me speak words of grace and start by changing my heart, God. And for others, it's a decision today to say, I'm gonna share the answer by the way that I live. Let others see that there's victory in Jesus Christ because when they see it, they'll be drawn to it so that their life can be changed. And maybe actually that's what you need today. It could be that you're sitting here in Auditorium 1, or maybe you're over in A2, or you're watching this on a screen somewhere, and you're saying to yourself in this moment, God, I can't do this on my own anymore. Like, I've looked for hope in so many places, but I don't want to be outside of your faith and your family anymore. God, I need what only you can bring. I need forgiveness, and I need purpose, and I need hope and peace, and I need life. There's no better time than today to just simply say, Jesus, take all of me. I give my life to you. I surrender myself to you. In this very moment, your life can begin a transformation that'll make a difference for eternity. And I'm gonna ask that in this next moment as we pray that you allow God to search your heart and make a difference today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for your word that speaks to us so clearly in the places where we live. Father, would you help us to be people who walk in wisdom? God, that others would see in the way that we live the grace that can only be found in you. Lord, would you give us spiritual discernment to seize the moments that come our way, moments of forgiveness, moments of grace, moments of influence, moments of restoration, moments of hope. Lord, would you help us to grab hold of those things and make the most of every opportunity? Lord, may our words be filled with grace that starts with the grace in our hearts that can only come from you. And may others see who you are as we live out lives of truth. And may they find victory as well through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for the one who says, I can't do it on my own anymore. Who says, today, God, I need you in my life. In this moment, Holy Spirit, would you do something special in their life? Would they know from this moment on that their life is different, that they've been changed as they put their hope in you as the one who forgives them and as the one who leads their lives? Now, Father, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Lord, would you send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace? And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.